the magician's code. Welcome back to The Magician's Code, everybody. My name is Hadlin, and on this episode, we're going to dive into the mind of Jason Ladani. He is an amazing sleight-of-hand artist, and artist is a key word here because everything that I see this guy put out is just incredibly well-crafted and put together. So without further ado, let's jump into it and meet Jason Ladani. How's it going, man? It's going all right. Well, thank you for that intro. I appreciate it. It was very nice of you to say all that. Yeah, not a problem. It's uh, it's really cool. I don't know, like this is our official time meeting, but I, I've been a friend of yours on Facebook for a while and I've seen your growth as, a, as your posts pop through my feed over the years. And man, I'm so impressed of, of your career and what you've done with it. It's amazing, um, man. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. I was kind of, um, you know, social media is funny because we, we, know people but we don't know people you know i, I saw that situation of of uh, uh being in contact or, or following somebody and then actually meeting them in real life i happen to me at conventions a lot where somebody I, i've chatted to and it feels like i know them but in some weird way i, I don't they're a complete stranger still so i know what you mean there um but as far as the content goes yeah i was a little bit late to the party um uh, you know i had just been um writing my book and performing and practicing and not really treating social media. You know, I would occasionally post something here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I kind of caught up to everything and started posting a lot more content. And, and there's the secret, you know, if you want to grow your, your channel or grow uh, your following or whatever like that, you have to put that content. It's just the way the world is now. Uh, yep. So all of that stuff that you see, is just me being a little bit more proactive about it and taking these videos that I do and cutting them up and trying to, uh, put content out there that, that looks different than, than other people's. Uh, oh yeah. So that's what you're seeing. Here. Yeah. I can definitely see like your style comes through and that's, that's awesome. That's one of the hardest things to do is to be yourself fully. And I feel like that's, that's your content. Yeah. Finding yourself is, is a tough one. Uh, as far as the magicians just getting in into magic, you know, maybe they've been in it for two or three years or something. And the template that they have is, let me perform material that's easy to do that I can buy right away uh, that looks cool on the internet or something. And uh, I'm going to perform this for my camera or something like that. And they just kind of stay within that template. They, they say, Oh, I like this and it's easy to do. I'll do that. Or it gets great reactions to do that. Right. But nowhere in that equation is, you know, what you are, what, what is that defined character that you are? Uh, and that's very difficult. And some people are just oblivious to it. They don't even know that that kind of stuff exists uh, because it works for them. They buy stuff, they do it, they get gigs. Why, why change anything? But once you've, you kind of find who you are, what that character is, it's much easier uh, to select your material and to uh, um, create routines and, and, and things along those lines because you have this kind of defining thing that that you can follow and uh so for some for example some people will write to me and say hey did you get this new trick it's amazing i love it and i'm thinking to myself when i watch it well that's something i would never do i it just mm. doesn't i mean yes it's amazing it looks visual you know it's it's uh gets great reactions and everything it just doesn't fit my character so for example something that you know a levitating pen or something you know that doesn't fit what i do i'm just a, a silky smooth con artist card shark 
expert with a deck of cards and gambling. He says, so why, why would I make a pen float? That doesn't make any sense. To me. Right. So I know it's a very long answer, but the point is sometimes you're sending your audience kind of these mixed signals in, in this trick for three minutes, you're this, uh, you know, mysterious wizard that can make things float. And then in the next trick, you're a Mississippi riverboat gambler from the twenties or, you know, like, what are you? Okay. Uh, so yeah. And the audience, cause it doesn't really know what to make of it. So we've all been in that situation where we watch a movie and we're kind of not really sure is this in the future or the past or is he superhuman or is he the good guy or the bad guy or and you know it's it's visually fun to watch but we're kind of lost the whole time and we don't really know what's going on so uh, it's a decent analogy if you're trying to figure out yeah. what, uh, what your character is you know mm-hmm. definitely it's uh i feel like i'm i'm just beginning that process personally of uh really fine-tuning that for my own my yeah, own uh, it's self a, it's a lot of fun to do it you can explore and and make changes as you go and sometimes you understand even deeper like over the years you can start to say you know what i thought i was this but i'm really digging this type of of uh, avenue now that i'm exploring and one, one for me personally is the ego you know in real life i, I you know i'm i'm just kind of like a normal guy everybody has a little bit of an ego but on on stage it's just like blown out of proportion and that's so much fun to play that that role you know it's funny because some magicians think i'm really like that but I, i'm not <laughs> but it, it's um uh, if you watch some of my material from like 2013 my first dvd set I, i'm not there yet i'm just doing kind of cool card tricks and there's maybe a little ad lib or line somewhere that may suggest it but I grew into that even more and started following through that. So if you watch the, the Magic Castle set, yeah. for example, I mean, that guy is just full of himself right from the get-go, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and, and that's, that's that enjoyable thing. But it's consistent from the beginning of the show to the end of the show. So yes. the audience gets, oh, I get what this guy is. Uh, and it, it paints a very clear image for them. And if they're not trying to figure out what's going on, they can enjoy your show, you know, because it's a consistent uh, thing from beginning to end. Right, right, right. Yeah. And you can really see like there's hours upon hours on every second of your act. Oh, it's all been thought. Every, every beat has been, been thought out. And oh, that comes from performances. There's no uh, substitute. You have to go out and perform and then analyze the feedback and mm-hmm. say, you know, I did this and it didn't, it didn't play. But if you do one show, that's not good enough. It's like a science experiment. You know, you, you, you may have something that didn't play. So if you say, okay, I'm never going to do that again. Well, it may have just been that one person, you know, so you you try it in a second show and a third show and a fourth show. And, and once you get that kind of audience feedback and find out how do I deliver the line or how do I do this, it's only fine tuning it, you know, and then you say, okay, that thing's done. But now I've got this other problem in my show. Every time I do this show, this, this trick or this part of the show doesn't quite resonate you know so years and years and years of of performances and boy you will really find out what works and what doesn't i love it i love it man and i can see you know right now you're sitting in your your little studio it's uh just lined with decks of cards i am sure you I, i remember actually you know what just now i remember i think there was a piece of content you had maybe a year or two ago where you just had practice you had 
everywhere in your home was set up ready to go for you to practice. Oh, of course. Yes. That was a different apartment, but, um, I, what I, and I'm doing the same thing here. It's just, um, it's a work in progress still I have a bigger place now. Mm. So the, the, the template, the idea that I'm going for is I want a place that I can be creative and practice, uh, and rehearse. There's a lot of different things there. Practice is just like, okay, I'm going to work on this thing, you know, and if I screw it up, I'm going to do it again. Uh, rehearsal is like when you're actually on, you know, you pretend you're on stage performing for people. So I'm in here talking to imaginary spectators and, you know, I'm trying to <laughs> yeah. talk with my girlfriend. They're like, you ever hear me in there talking to people and laughing and responding to them? Just, just ignore it. When the door is closed, <laughs> don't come in. So, uh, and, and you're, you're talking in an animated way, just as if you're on stage. That's the big difference between practice and rehearsal. Kind of. So it's in character and everything. So where I'm getting at with this is that my last, uh, it was actually two apartments ago, but I had a place where I could practice only and then a different place that was set up for rehearsals. So no matter what, if when I was in that environment, I could rehearse and everything was set up to look more like a stage environment. Uh, and the, the practice room, not so much. You know, I had all my props and all my things to work on. And then even a different place just to film stuff. Wow. Now, the reason for all this is when creativity spark, right? So you, uh, an idea comes to you, you know, you don't want to have to like clean your table off and move books and set the table up and to, you know, the, I, the inspiration will die. Right. If you're watching a video and you see somebody do a card move and you go, man, that's awesome. I had it happen today. I saw something on social media or I, I was laying in bed and I saw something and I'm like, Oh man, I got to go practice this. And I got right up and went to my card table and started working on it and going, this thing is amazing. But the point is, I was able to walk and sit but between the moment I saw it and the moment I was working on it was less than 10 seconds. So if wow. you're telling yourself you're going to, well, it's right here. All I had to do was walk into this room. But if you're telling yourself, oh, I want to work on this thing, that's cool. And you have to go into the basement and pull the card table out or, or clean the uh, dishes off the kitchen table or, or you know what I mean? Go to someplace and, and have 10 minutes of prep before you do it. That's not going to that's not going to cut it, you know, it's so uh, that's going to hurt your creativity then. But same thing with filming. If I'm inspired to film something, I don't want to have to waste time getting the tripods and the lights and all this business. I just want to sit down and film. So, you know, I know that sounds like a lot. Find three different rooms in your house that you can set up for this, <laughs> but you know, it just, uh, it, that works for me. You may have one room that you have different areas uh, to, to do that stuff at. Um, but at the end of the day, I want to be able to uh, either practice, rehearse, or create and just have nothing in the way of that. That's, right. that's what I'm getting at. To be able to just jump straight into it no matter what. Yeah, exactly. A reading area, you know, a, a place where there's a, a chair, a desk, and the, whatever the current five books you're, you're working on. That means when you're sitting there, you're not distracted by all the things around your house and you can have focused practice or focused work. And that's what's going to get you ahead. Mm. Right. You have, you have physical places to be in different mindsets. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, uh, there's just, there's, it's the right environment. Uh, that's what people are having problems with right now with, with this quarantine is, is they're working from home. Everything's different. So the st distractions are stronger. There there's, you're out of your normal thing, you know? So, uh, I like that routine of being in the right place, right time. And you get yourself in the mic mindset and you're good to go. Mm -hmm. Do you have a, 
like a, a specific routine that you'd go through every day? Uh, well, it's funny cause it's coming back. So maybe back in 2010, 2005 to 2010 or something, very, very strict. You know, I was building my chops up at the time. Before that, I was on the road as a professional musician. So I didn't really have a, a tight schedule, but we were traveling so much. So I'd have a five hour drive or a, all flying all day or something like that. Nonstop. It was like 280 gigs a year. So, and that was with Shamika Copeland, if anybody wants to look that up. So we were nonstop touring, which meant I had to keep myself busy somehow. So I read Strong Magic until that thing fell apart. I mean, I literally have it right here. The pages have fallen out of this book. <laughs> wow. section of this book that the binding broke and everything. I've glued it back together like three times. So I used to read that book all the time, which helped build the, the persona and the theory and understanding dramatic structure and everything. It's an invaluable. I mean, if you haven't read this, yeah. What's the name of the book again? Oh, uh, Darwin Ortiz's Strong Magic. Strong Magic by Darwin. Yeah, if okay. you like character and you like understanding progression and build and kind of the whole process of being a performer on stage, it's in there. So uh, anyway, I would read that book a lot and I would practice, I would shed second deals, center deals, bottom deals, all my technical work. Um, but because I had eight hours on a road or whatever, you know, you know, with five other guys in a bus driving from, you know, Bozeman, Montana to LA or something, I would keep myself busy there. Uh, once I got off the road, then I changed it to much more uh, strategic scheduled practicing. So I figured out, here's a good tip for you. I figured out what time of day I did best with what. Oh. Right? So, because our brains are a little bit different, you know? When you wake up, you might not, you might just want to relax for a little bit. And if you're trying to, like, read first thing in the morning, well, you're kind of amped up and ready to go and have high energy. So it's difficult to sit in the chair because you feel like you want to go do stuff. And other people might be the opposite. They might wake up and want to do all that stuff and then... Uh, be energetic and then later in the day when they're relaxing that's a good time to read right? so i found out what works best for me uh and that meant that i would wake up i would always go for a run in the morning uh that helped me uh, i have the best energy then and then after that i would practice for like four hours or something take an hour off for some food relax chill out a little bit and when my body when i would my mind and everything would start to relax a little bit then i'd go into like the reading mode uh, mm. and reading and writing later in the day and I've ex experimented with trying to write in the morning and trying to practice and, you know, it, kind of these different places and times of day to do things. And, you know, some things just wouldn't work. Uh, and then I realized, okay, this is a schedule that I can work with. Uh, you're hearing <laughs> well, that's Zadok, everybody. Yeah. Uh, that's my uh, German shepherd. Um, so anyway, that's, that's the, the deal there. And, and you have to, everyone's different. So you kind of have to find that schedule yourself. But how long do you practice and stay proficient at um, how long do you maintain good focus with practice? If you say, oh, I'm going to practice for 10 hours today. That's easy to say, but maybe after two hours, you're like pulling your hair out. So practice doesn't become enjoyable anymore, right? So find the amount of time that works for you and then stick with that. Right. So for the next you know, decade or whatever, I stuck to kind of a, a regimen like that. Uh, but nowadays, since I'm working a lot more, not minus the quarantine, but I have to schedule my practice around the shows. So kind of like whatever show is coming up, that's usually what I'm you know, prepping for and practicing. So I'll right. say, okay, you know, there's no reason to keep my center deal in shape if I've got a show 
a run of shows for two weeks or something that it's not in there. Mm. I'm going to practice that stuff to make sure that it's all good. And then look beyond that and say, okay, after that, I have this particular show that I'm going to need all my gambling chops up or this guy's podcast or this, I'm filming this for this company or whatever. So I would kind of look at my schedule and let that dictate what needs to be practiced today. Interesting. Wow, man. Those, those are some amazing tips. So well, you're essentially, you're just analyzing everything of your, yourself well, yeah. in when, inwards. When uh, Apple, the executives at Apple have a meeting, they don't go into it unprepared and say, all right, what's everybody want to, you know, you guys just want to hang out today or you want to talk? No, they have like a specific set of things they want to talk about. And mm. these are the problems that we're having and here's potential solutions. Let's brainstorm and, and figure out what's going on until two o'clock. And then from two to three, we're going to talk about this problem that needs, you know, attention. So that's how an efficient business runs. So uh, they don't, you know what I mean? They don't just... Right. hang out and <laughs> whatever pops into their mind, they talk about. So I took that same approach with my practice and made it very scheduled and very uh, efficient. And, you know, it, it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, definitely shows in uh, everything that we're able to see online. And even the way you speak about it, I can, I can just feel that, you know, you're the type of guy that just works hard. The hard, one of the hardest uh, yeah. workers. Well, you know? and then also remember there, you, there's room for breaks too. You know, I learned something great years ago. I can't remember who said it. It was just some internet post somewhere about some guy saying, if you, if you stay in it too long, you don't get to reflect, you know, you have to take some time off to come back. So it feels fresh. So don't right. forget to schedule that stuff in there too, where you say, all right, today, you know, my girlfriend is good at reminding me of, it's okay to take like two days off, you know? And uh, I always feel like, I can't though. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> this is potential time. I could be practicing this thing, you know? So, um, you know, I'm always taking notes and I'm always doing this stuff and that stuff needs to be organized. And, and, uh, if, if you just stay in it too long, sometimes it's, it gets even harder. So when you come back kind of with a fresh look, you'll be more productive and you'll maybe see things in a different light sometimes. And it, it's like the last piece of the puzzle. When I left this puzzle, I was having all these problems with it. And then two, three days later, I come back to it and I go, why don't you just do it this way? That's so much easier. Mm. So that's a good, having a break is always a, a very good thing as well. Yeah. And I, I think that goes as well with like, you know, practice for, for magic is kind of like, I don't know if you would make this association, but kind of like, you know, working out and whatnot, you need oh, to give same. your, your, your muscles and everything a rest. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. So a, a, one of them, Instagram guys you see that's completely ripped or the, the fitness models, the girls that are selling their, their $200 a month package things and they're completely shredded. It's the same thing. They don't go to the gym and just say, hmm, you know, what do I, I'm just going to do what I feel like doing today. They have, a, they have a journal probably or something in their phone that tells them, okay, today is this and I'm going to do exactly this many reps for this amount of time and then I'm going to do that machine and do they work out a specific part of their body. And they just rotate that and they have to keep changing that. Cause if you spent any time in the gym, you know, about plateauing, right. You, you, yeah. you, you have to, you can't stay there. You have to change it up and kind of keep tricking your body. Uh, and, uh, practice is the same way, you know, and it also sh should be enjoyable. So there's this thing that I see other, some of my students have it and I've heard other people that aren't my students, but ask me for advice. You know, like I hate practicing. It just means you've, you've done too much of that thing. It should be enjoyable. If it's your true passion, there should be no barricade in the way. It's just, you should enjoy your practice. But 
if you tell yourself you're going to do a second deal for three hours straight until you hate it, you know, that's not the right mindset. <laughs> Have you ever been working on a move and then you're like, oh, I'm just not able to get this down. But then when you go to bed next morning, all of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden your yeah. body just somehow I puts had, it together. I learned that with, I first had that experience with learning how to play the piano. So when I was like seven or eight years old, I would practice piano with my teacher would give me something to work on. And Monday, the lesson was on Monday or whatever. Tuesday, I couldn't do it. Wednesday, I couldn't do it. Thursday, I was super frustrated. Friday, I hated everything. And then Saturday morning, it would be, it was like overnight, it would just show up. But I remember <laughs> being fascinated, like, well, that's pretty cool. So your brain, yeah, it's in, all in your subconscious. You've given your brain a task to do. And even when you go to bed, you may not be thinking about it, but underneath in your subconscious, your brain's still kind of figuring out the muscle memory and all of the things there and trying to make your problem, trying to solve your problem. Right. And of course, one day it, it, it's there. The solution will present itself. Uh, so I'm very aware of that, which gives me much more patience when it comes to learning such mm. uh, things like that. Even though I don't have it today, I know that it might, that it will, as long as I continue to work on it, it will show up someday. Now, with some of these slights, like a center deal and a bottom deal, things are very, very difficult. So it's not something that you can do and say, okay, well, I've practiced today, so tomorrow will be there. Some of these things take years, uh, three, four years even to become proficient at. So uh, again, with going to the gym, you don't go to the gym and say, okay, maybe tomorrow I'll be ripped. You know that down the road, if you keep up with it, you'll get there. Does grip strength help help with magic? Uh, well, I am unique in the sense that I had all that uh, background in music uh, first. So mm. I wouldn't say that strength is really the important thing. It's the, in, the independence in fingers. Okay. So with playing piano, you have 10 fingers that need to do 10 different things uh, at the same time, you know, it's all different stuff, you know? So uh, I just, I, you know, I had, I don't know, I started piano when I was seven and I, I took lessons, formal lessons until I was like in my mid twenties or so. So uh, that's a lot of, uh, practice and exercise hand and exercises for any piano players out there those are like you know the bible of of finger dexterity so i think you're going to get a lot more from piano than you would just handling a deck of cards so when i picked up a deck i noticed that things were a little bit easier for me like i learned a pinky count in like six days you know i just i mean the book said grab the deck and pull down at this corner i'm kind of like oh cool you know the card popped up <laughs> you know, and so uh that's that's incredibly unfair to anyone else that's been working on that move for five years but um that was a big a huge advantage for me with the with the independent figure so in other words i could read something in the book and then just kind of work it out right away now as far as hand strength goes there's actually a you know those uh, they sell them in like uh, sporting goods stores those right got the two handles and the spring in the middle those are yeah. horrible for your hands those are absolutely oh. horrible or the finger things where it's like the, the four springs that you, yeah our hands aren't meant for that much uh resistance you know so roll a tennis ball on your fingers or something you know uh that's that's gonna be, that's gonna get your fingers kind of warmed up um and think about how much pressure does it take to push a piano key down you know hardly anything it's a little button but that thing that you're squeezing with, that, that's like ripping your tendons up. You're going to get tendonitis if you think you're going to 
Uh, ah. Yeah, so so it's not you don't need like you know huge forearms to work with the deck of cards. Hmm. Just need independence and fingers. So Excellent. I was fortunate there that I had that that background. Nice. Yeah, no, that that that's amazing. That makes so much sense because you had you had the the connections in your mind to move independently all your fingers already. Yeah, and then yeah, it just transitioned transitioned perfectly. And I don't remember where I heard it. I, it was maybe years and years ago, but I, for some reason, I feel like I was recommended to do that. But yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go back to that. No, so. the companies that sell that stuff are going to tell you that this is what you need. Mm. But that's not uh, in my. I know other musicians that laugh at that stuff. We, you know, we joke about, you know, what it actually takes to become proficient. And here they are selling. We see these infomercials like, "Want to learn how to play guitar? <laughs> Buy this today." You know, and it's like. <laughs> you know, so you see some guy doing lifting a bowling ball with his index finger. Now that's the strength. Like you're gonna rip your hands apart. So yeah, just just um, I'm not recommending taking piano lessons or guitar lessons. I'm just saying that don't go out there and think that you have to do you know fingertip push-ups mm-hmm. to help build your you know your uh, card technique. Now, do you have any uh, specific ways that you take care of your hands to some, in, uh, ensure the really- longevity? fortunate somehow I, my hands have always been in good shape i don't do anything with them i don't go get manicures and things like that my skin's just been in good shape i just you know make sure that my nails are are clipped down and i don't have any bad habits like biting my nails or anything. uh i get kind of dry skin in the winter uh so i just use a vino hand lotion uh mm. for some reason that is the only lotion for me that doesn't have that weird greasy thing like you put it on and it rubs in and your hands feel good but I don't have any kind of other issues that I've got to, to worry about there. Oh, good. Okay. I, uh, I think some people even uh, go to the lengths of insuring their hands. Is that something that you think is, is uh, necessary? Uh, I've heard of some people that go to the lengths of insuring their hands, having oh, their hands well, insured. Uh, is that you know, necessary? Like, you think? Jennifer Lopez getting her uh, rear end insured. There. You know, I, I don't. <laughs> think I yeah. need that. I mean, I've had my fair share of uh, issues with my hands. I've got a little bit of tendonitis between these two fingers over here. And some days I don't have any kind of arthritis or anything like that, but you know, we're on this planet once around, do what you can mm-hmm. do and go. From right. there, so. And uh, okay. So before a show, can you share with us maybe your, like your routine of how you're getting warmed up and getting your mind into the right frame of thinking? Well, I've heard other magicians and I've performed with other magicians that have told me like four minutes prior to showtime, like, hey, I'm going to do this. Should I do this thing or this thing? You know, like <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, are you out of your mind? You are going to go out there flying by the seat of your pants thinking that you're going to pull something off that you've never rehearsed before. Uh, I don't like that feeling at all. now, especially because of my character. My character is super confident, cocky, arrogant, and full of himself and uh, the smartest guy in the room, infallible, you know? So I need to make sure that my stuff's actually, the last thing you want is to actually mess up up there, you know? So uh, I need to make sure everything's gonna be perfect. And how do I do that is through rehearsals and practice, like a whole bunch before I do a show so that when it comes time, it's it's five minutes of showtime. I'm backstage. Lights are in. You can hear the people and the, the EMCs out there. I'm relaxed. I'm like, I got this because I've done all the prep. And that means 
I'm excited to go out and perform. Like finally, I can get this thing done with. Now contrast that to feeling like, man, I hope this thing works. Should I do these two? Maybe I should flip these two around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I should definitely. No, no, no. I, 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 I committed to doing this first. I'm going to do that. And my third trick, maybe, maybe if the audience doesn't like the second one, I can sub in that third one there. You know, and and you know, I, I just practiced this pass in front of the mirror in the in the dressing room, and it doesn't look so good. So I'm going to take that fourth trick and not do the pass because it's not looking good today. So I'll do. You know, like what on earth? <laughs> How are you supposed to go out and have a good show and communicate to the audience and feel comfortable on stage if you're a complete, you know, anxiety-ridden mess backstage just before the show goes on? So if you practice and rehearse and commit, uh, my good friend Tony Cabral gave me some of the best advice ever. He said, just uh, trust your material. He used a different word, but he said, trust your material. Uh. <laughs> and and I, I love that. You know, I commit to that set, practice it and do it instead of doing what all of us performers do would have that doubt, you know, that doubt creeps in, you know. And if you listen to that doubt, then you're going to start changing course right before you go out on stage and uh, trying to stay in your comfort zone and all that. So that's that's my mindset. Have all that preparation first. I have a quote in my first book, victory loves preparation. And if I'm in that mindset, that means I'm comfortable. Now the audience can pick up on that. If you walk out there and you have a little bit of anxiety and what the audience is going to focus on that. And now they're nervous too. They're nervous for you. Is he going to get through this? You know, is he's, he looks a little nervous, you know, and that will really cut into the, into the quality of your show. But if you come out, if you watch that cast of video, and I'm, I'm just super confident, relaxed, and they can throw any set, any heckle or any line at me, and I got 10 comebacks, and, I, you know, just, lady, please, you know, that, that, that whole thing. I'm in charge now. And that means that they can relax, too. I've done this a million times. They can feel that, you know, and that means they can sit back and just watch this show. Like, everybody calm down. We've got this under control. So a good analogy here is the roller coaster, right? You get there, you get to the roller coaster, and, and there's some guy going like, I think it works like this, and I hope that strap <laughs> up there is going to hold, you know, and, 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 and he's like, you'll be fine. We had an incident, but that was a long time ago. I mean, that was, was got to be at least 24 hours by now, you know, and hopefully this will work. And you go like, well, do I buckle this in? And the guy goes, I don't know if you want, I don't know. You're like, what the hell is this? I'm not ready for this. But if you get the guy that looks like he's been doing it forever, like, here, have a seat, do this, do this. You're going to have a great time. You guys ready? Here we go. You know, now you're like in comfortable hands, so you'll enjoy the, you know, death-defying ride that you're about to go on. Right. Well, so that's a, a, you know, silly analogy, but it's, it's kind of mm -hmm. what you want your audience to feel when you walk out on stage. I think it's great. It, it really paints a, a great picture in your mind. Now, what, what would you say is your definition of magic. Like, how do you define it? Uh, magic, you, your mic cut out just for one second. So you said the definition oh. of magic, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's the experience that the audience has, this wonderment, this, this impenetrable puzzle that, that you have planted in their minds, right? And it's like this bubble. And the more they think about it, the more this bubble gets, just gets bigger and bigger and they just can't figure out. And they can come back to it later in life and still think about how the hell could he have done that? And it's this, this magical moment. And in order to achieve that, you need to have a true miracle. You have to have something that the, the, the method 
is truly diabolical, hidden. There's no way, right? And if you can achieve that, you do have this, this mystery. And if you can deliver that mystery in a fun way with a, with a fun character or a fun premise, you know, something that's got the emotional hooks in it. You know, these Instagram videos are like, there's nothing there. You just, the card's yeah. red and now it's blue, you're black, you know, and there's no vessel. It's just a, a, a special effect. But if you come on stage and present uh, the atmosphere, the scene, the characters, the premise, follow me along for this, right? And then give them this amazing moment that they can't solve. That's magic for, uh, for me. Now, what I mean about this impenetrable method, right? If you leave some avenue for somebody to start thinking, maybe it was done this way, maybe it was done that way, that starts to diminish that big bubble because now they're, they're thinking about, let me solve this puzzle. And if you let them in, now it's just this mechanic, let me figure this one out, that kind of thing. And it diminishes that experience for them. So that's why you have to be very careful and make sure you create these true miracles. And a, a quick movie analogy, right? If, if you've got a movie that you're watching and the special effects aren't that good, you can't like these, these knockoff movies from India or, or Japan or the low budget action movies. You can't really enjoy the movie because you're like, oh, that was obviously a green screen, or I saw the stunt double's face there. You know, you're, you're not getting lost in the premise of the movie. You're, you're more analytical, right? So you don't want your audience to be there. So back to the original thing. If, if you can deliver it in the right way and have this absolutely astounding mystery, that means that will live on for the rest of their lives and they will remember it forever. And that's, that's what I, my goal is, is to have them remember this stuff forever. So 25 years goes by and somebody opens up a deck of cards and this person goes, man, I gotta tell you about this one guy I saw this one time. And they tell this oh, crazy elaborate, you know, 10 times what you did, but still the point yeah. is it's, it's <laughs> there. Now, magic is unique in that sense because people don't tend to say, when they see a painting, they don't say, oh my God, 35 years ago I saw this painting and we were, if they see a band, they go, oh my God, 28 years ago I saw this band down in Florida, you know. It's, magic tends, to really stick in their minds because reality was shaped right in front of them, you know, and, and it sticks in them in a, in, in, in a deeper way than other art forms do. So that's a really nice, uh, you know, extra that comes along with magic. Yeah. You're creating a memory for them. Oh yeah. And it's vivid, you know, because our, we have rules in the world and here you come along breaking all of these rules, you know, so it's, it's very memorable for them. Yeah. You're almost creating a, a legend in their minds to, yeah. to speak and, and, on and later. Is, yeah, the, the more uh, impressive the, the miracle is, you know, the more they're gonna think about it and, it and it blows up in their mind and it becomes, that's why when they tell these stories, they exaggerate a lot. You know, a quick little side story. I did a trick, I did card to ceiling once and uh, this was forever ago, just a casual, I was at a party and these other guys were doing some magic there. It was like team A and team B, you know, I was there with my friends and there was this other college football frat guys there and there was like this the host of the party was this gorgeous girl you know so they were trying to impress uh, this girl and my friends were like jay go get him you know <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> ah yeah let him, let him have the fun you know and i had already some pretty decent chops back then so i was prepared with uh, the uh card to ceiling right so i did the routine long story short i brought the house down you know i just threw that thing up the card stuck and all the cards fell down and, and everybody lost you know i lost their minds 
And of course, it, I won the, the battle of the cartoons. <laughs> and, uh, but the funny thing is about how these people remember these and how the legend thing blows up. It's like, you know, four years later or something, I'm at a different party with some of those same friends and they're telling a story. And th th this is what they said. They said like, dude, like there was these guys over there and Jay was over here and like, Jay went up to the girl. He's like, yo, Jen, name any card you want, you know? And, and Jen names a card and she said the ace of hearts. And then Jay takes a deck of cards and he throws it into the ceiling fan into the ceiling fan and on one of the blades of the ceiling fan <laughs> it was one wow. card we slowed it down and the fan slows down and we pulled off the ace of hearts off of that fan and like and i'm thinking to myself like what <laughs> <laughs> and of course i go yeah it was really hard getting that one card on that fan blade but you know it's just uh, been practicing it for a long time you know so that's just proof that in their minds they hold on to that memory and they keep building on it and they weren't exaggerating that on purpose they they remembered me piercing a fan blade on on this thing and that was not the case at all the, the true story is it was close to the fan so i threw it up on the ceiling when i looked up i realized oh man i was like a foot away from that fan blade like, like next time i gotta look up you know right uh, so uh <laughs> well it was a very dramatic moment because i just looked it right in the eyes and without looking i just threw oh nice but it's just proof how these memories are are held and that is where the art in, in magic is. yeah it'd be i guess that's kind of one of the goals is you want to you know think about the story that they could tell later on down the down oh, the line of course. yeah be memorable i mean what's the point of a movie you watch and never watch again it's it's, it's when you when you're watching a movie and going it's just blowing my mind like i want to mm -hmm. this is amazing uh very memorable thing casino heat uh, the Joker that just came out, you know, movies like that really stick in our minds and we like to go back to them and revisit them and watch them again. And when you perform, you know, be that movie, be that thing in their minds that they can play over and tell their friends. And I mean, that's how you build a real following from real fans. Right. To perform that memorable stuff. What's your favorite magic moment of your life so far? And it doesn't even have to be like performing or anything. It could be, you know, um, well, that's a tough one. These questions are always tricky because there's so many um, moments to, to, to think about. You know, some, and this is just the first thing that popped in my mind. So yeah. later I might even think of a different, then it'll happen tonight, you know, yeah. eight hours from now, I'll wake up and go, <laughs> oh, why did I say that instead? But for example, it's happened to me a few times, but I'll be on tour or something. And I realize as I'm walking down the beach in Florida or something, I'm thinking to myself, I'm here. Like I've made it. Like I'm, I got three weeks of dates lined up and I'm driving my car. I always wanted and I've got my fancy suits and I've got my nice watch and I'm not that I'm a material guy. I, I, I'm not a material, even though I might seem that way. I'm, I'm happy with the things I have and I'm not looking to go buy boats and you know, stupid shit like that. But I'm walking down that beach thinking, uh, cards brought me here. Like all I do is mess around with a deck of cards and, and here I am. And uh, the last time I felt that was in Lebanon last year. I was there with my buddy Pascal, invited me over to perform for a couple weeks, a handful of shows and some lectures and it's basically like a big vacation. But I remember thinking we're sitting on some rooftop in Lebanon, which is an absolutely beautiful city. And they're bringing you like $60 cigars and I'd be like, oh, let me get this scotch here this 15 wow they go, no 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 no. you're getting a 21 you know and i'm like no no that's way too and he's like, no, no no shut up you're getting a 20 you know i'm like okay and and so you're drinking these whiskeys 
teas and these scotch and just hanging out, talking shop. And you're thinking, all I did was follow my passion and I do what I love. And these people are happy to host and, and show me their country. And, and I'm on, on this giant paid vacation for, for two weeks, you know? So th those moments, that's when I say I, I trusted my thing. I had a great mom that supported me with this stuff. And that you kind of get reminded that, hey, I followed my dream and you know, here I am. So that's, that's what I would that's say. Incredible. Uh, man, that's incredible. Man, that's amazing. A little, a little deep, but you, know, it, uh, you yeah. know, I hope you weren't looking for like, oh, my favorite moment is when the spectator has an ace. No, no, no. Yeah. So, no, 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 know, that's like, beautiful. Uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the, you know, so many people have that dream, you know, and, and you, you have to sit back and realize sometimes, even though I'm fighting for this new thing, I want this and I'm mm -hmm. trying to attain that. You have to stop and say, well, hey, wait a minute. Look, so, you know, look what you've got right now. You were a touring musician. Yeah. How did you, how did you know that it was magic and not music? That's a great question. So I, I knew, you know, when I was seven, I'd started my, my first piano lessons. But I also started uh, going to the magic shop and playing with cards and I got my first uh, book and everything on magic and knew that that was something I like to do. So everything all kind of started at once. And I joined my first band at around 13, 14 years old. And I made it. I got my big break. I got assigned by a national band when I was uh, late. I was late. Teen, well, 18, 19, 20. I was with this guy, Vince Converse, who did tour around the country. And I thought I made it then. But we were like in a bus, you know, doing gigs for 500 <laughs> bucks, you know. Uh, and, or like, you know, sleeping on the, in rest stops to save money on hotels. So it, 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 as far as I was concerned, I was like, man, I've made it. I'm sleeping in a rest stop about ready to go play in some bar in Ohio somewhere, you know. And uh, but then I realized after that band fell apart, I realized, um, you know, that band gave me some exposure and I met the next band through the contacts of Vince. And I got my big break. I got the phone call where they said, you're signed, you're, you're in the band, you're, you're in a national touring band right now. And then we went international, we did Australia. We, I mean, literally flew all over the world and did these giant sponsored festivals, just making it wow. And full wow. rock star status. You know, I had all the stupid rock star, you know, when you are on stage, I like, you can wear the dumbest stuff and get away, away with it. I had like a pink zebra shirt on, you know, and we did <laughs> Conan O'Brien. I was on Conan O'Brien uh, when it was late night. Uh, we did Austin City Limits. Uh, we did some pretty major uh, uh, gigs, you know. And like I had mentioned earlier in, in this uh, interview, I said when I was on the road, I was doing these chops, you know, and practicing. Yep. So it was a great icebreaker to go backstage, and there's Jeff Beck, you know, sitting there playing his guitar before stage, you know. And I'd go up with the guitar player, we'd introduce ourselves. And, of course, my the guitar player would always be like, hey, can my friend show you a card trick, you know. So there was opportunities to perform for these guys in BB King's band. They loved the bridge. They, they, all they would do is play bridge all day. So I took a deck of cards and I took their deck and just called the spades and two pharaohs and did a bridge deal. And they thought that was after the third spade went down, they, everybody was like leaving the place. So I had a lot of fun performing there, but I was enjoying those little performances and I had all the card chops and I felt like, well, I'm not doing anything with this stuff. Not getting any gigs. I've got all this, all these chops. I've got these ideas. I've created a handful of routines. I've enjoyed uh, the technical aspect of it, but where am I going with it? And music was actually kind of getting in the way of all that stuff. So I did a handful of gigs a year, but I couldn't live on those few card gigs that I did. 
but I enjoyed them because I only I, I could show up at a gig with a, a deck of deck of cards. If I did a music gig, I had two keyboards, guitars, amps, cables, mic stand, you know, like the PA. Like it took me like an hour to load the stuff in. So that was my first thing there. Like, I don't really want to be doing this. Or, and, and in music, you play for three hours and you make like 85 bucks. And you, you, <laughs> I'm not joking. You, you get like, yeah. like 350 bucks and you got to split it six ways, you know? Right. So, but but you're, you can work as much as you want, you know? So you can work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and make 600 bucks a week or something. So it's, it's just obnoxious, you know? So the, the financial thing was one element there that I, I remember thinking like okay maybe not now there's two other things the first thing was I started realizing the longer I played with Shamika she's great but nobody's going to know who I am I'm working on her career I'm part of the one of the gears in her right in her machine yeah exactly and, and that's great and all but 10 years from now I'm just going to be the keyboard player and, and they don't even know your name you know you're just part of the, the thing you get paid well but you're just part of her, her legacy. And then the other thing that happened is she ha ended up having uh, some surgery or something. We had like a three month break and, and that was a first three month break in like five years. And I went home and all of a sudden I realized like, wow, I've got a, a, an apartment and three cats and like you wake up in the morning and the sun comes in and you can watch TV. Like it was a whole new life for me because I had just been living on the road. So those first couple of weeks were like, this is amazing. I don't have to go do anything. Like this is, I don't have any income, but this is really cool. I have like my own pad here. And um, cause really I've been living out of a suitcase and living in hotel rooms for like since it's been eight, nine years or something like that. Wow. So then I started uh, realizing, well, I need to pay rent. So let me do a few card shows because um, that, that can at least, help me get uh, pay some bills and split the rent and everything with my girlfriend at the time. And I realized after just getting a few gigs, like not bad, you know, I'm already making about half what I was on the road in only like a couple weeks. And of course, you know, the rule, you do a gig and you hand out cards and you get yep. some follow-up work and, and somebody will say, Hey, are you working tomorrow? You know, and you, you know, that kind of stuff happens. And then within a few months, I was like nearly making the same amount of money that I was on the road. Wow. Yeah, nice. because I didn't have to split it. It was all mine. And I started realizing things. Like the the company would pay me in a check up front. Like that was totally new to me. Like, you mean I got paid already? Like this is amazing. And with music gigs, you would have to do the gig first. And then they'd come to you and say, I know we agreed on 500 bucks, but we can only give you 350. You know, we had to pay the door guy 80 bucks too. So here's 200 some bucks. And you, you guys drank $68 worth of beer. So here's your $115, you know. And with, with magic, I, I, you could charge more and uh, you got paid up front. There was a lot of nice things there. Oh, and the cancellation policy stuff. Like I couldn't believe it the first time a client canceled on me and I still got paid. I mean, to yeah, me, that was like, right? they, they were rained out. They had some big, it was a big corporate event. Uh, we have a local healthcare place up here and they uh, had like some dicks. Uh, reckon, uh, they recognized their... Uh, people that work at their company, like here's an appreciation thing. Yeah. And it got canceled and there was no rain day. And I remember thinking, Oh, that sucks. And a couple days later I got paid. I'm like, Whoa, that, I mean, it was their contract, you know? So that was pretty amazing. I'm thinking that would never happen in a million years as a musician. So I know this is a 15 minute answer, but the point is 
I started realizing, hey, if I do this myself, it's my name now. And I, the, what I continue to put into it, I will get credit for. And within a couple of years, I was, I could survive. I, I realized I could survive. And then I remember thinking, I should have done this years ago. So I kind of got a late start in magic. And then during that period of learning, I could gig on my own is when I started writing my first book. And then that first book was like the last piece of the puzzle. Cause now I have income from gigs, but I also have income from the magic community and it all just kind of continued to go from uh, multiple sources of income, things like that. Amazing. That's amazing, man. Yeah. You're, you found it right there. That's I, I love hearing these stories and especially yours is just, uh, do you feel like some of uh, what you learned on the road as a musician helped you? Oh my God, immensely. Because I remember thinking, so on these travel dates, when I go overseas to Europe and everything, yeah. I had eight years of experience going through airports and, and all this other, you know, I, I knew the process. Could you imagine being going over there for the first time? for a big paid gig or, or a series of gigs and being terrified that you've never been overseas with a, with a passport. So you start to learn all the little shortcuts and tricks of, of road life uh, and overpacking. You know, when I go with my girlfriend to places, she brings for like, for like four days or something, she'll bring like a month's worth of clothes, you know, <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm carrying those three suitcases. You know, I, I have like one shoulder bag and a little carry on thing. You know? Cause I know that when I get off the plane, I can just leave the, I don't have to wait and all that stuff. So exactly. Nice and small, you know, and, and learning how to do laundry. Don't do your laundry at the hotel. It'll cost you eight hundred dollars. You know, find the laundromat down the street that that's a, that's dollar to do your laundry, or whatever. The little shortcuts uh, like that that you learn from that experience, those earlier experiences. Um, so yes, it was a tremendous help understanding that touring life and that road life. So when I go back out, I'm not intimidated by it in any means. Right. It was a. Uh a very seamless transition from the sounds of it. Yeah. And here's another quick tip. I understood early uh, and I learned from the road that when I played with this local band, maybe I didn't get the best money, but I got the exposure that allowed me to get the, the Vince Converse gig, which is a national thing, big raising money. Right. Vince was a little bit, you know, not the best experience in the world, but it gave me the exposure to meet the new, the heavy hitter, New York city, guys and that gave me exposure to the full-on national touring act and that template made me have a much better mindset when it came to this magic stuff i see tons of these exposure type gig memes that magicians tend to share like can you believe this guy wanted me to do his gig for free you know screw him and then they'll post some funny exposure like oh i'll pay my bills with exposure bucks now those are funny and all but there is a right place to do some of these gigs so you right so you go down to new york city and they have some event where they're raising like five million dollars for kids with cancer or something like that i'll do that gig for free in a heartbeat because look who's there a bunch of millionaires that are generous i mean you you should be performing for these people right so i learned from music that just sometimes you have to to settle for these gigs that don't pay as much knowing that i'm going to get something back from this and bringing that into the the into magic i remember thinking early on i'm gonna lose money doing this gig but i knew i had to do it because it's putting me down in new york city right and and sure enough years down the road or months or whatever you'll get something back from that and i see a lot of younger magicians that say nope i'm not doing that i'm not doing that for that amount of money screw him well you're certainly not going to get any more work out of it 
with that attitude, you know. Mm. Now, there are people that do take advantage of it. You know, hey, we want you to come do a six-hour gig. You're going to get great exposure at my kid's six-year-old birthday. You know, like, come on. <laughs> so there are, you don't have to be able to recognize when you take gigs and when you don't gigs. Fortunately, I'm not a kid's. I don't, I've, I've done one kid's show in my life and I'll never do another one. So I learned, you know, that was back in 2005 or something. I still have the scars from emotional scars. <laughs> so I, I don't mess with any of that low, super low stuff that comes in. I don't, that's just, I'm sorry. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not your performer. So I don't have to look at those things. Right. And it's, it's so powerful when you're able to, to say no to gigs as well. It is a, yeah, I remember that. No is a powerful thing. Cause if you keep saying yes, you have to keep being malleable. You have to keep changing yourself and say, can I fit into this person's thing? You know, and it all comes full circle to what we started talking about. If you know what you are, then that power of no is so much better. I just don't do your kids party. I don't, I don't care that you need one and you're, cornered and you told your kid you were going to have a magician that's not my fault i don't do that uh, and i think a lot of other performers may just say oh i need the money let me do that show and then they end up with a lot of problems because the client may say well you weren't hey we didn't think you were that or you know there's you're trying to kind of sell them something that you're really not right uh so and also and they can feel it too yeah the follow-up work that you get too do you really want to put yourself in that environment and get more of that type of work so it's very nice to be able to say, these are the gigs I want to do. And I'm going to focus my energy there. And right. then you can follow up work from those, those types of gigs and those types of clients. That's powerful, man. There's one more message about this knowing who you are kind of thing. And it's a message I got from Mike Vincent, another great, one of the best performers alive today. Um, Michael Vincent taught me to always have some truth to your presentations uh, because that's genuine. So do I want to create a character that's completely fictitious, completely made up, right? And now what can I pull from? Nothing. I have no experience in this fictitious character. I don't know where to start because I have to create it all from scratch. Or you can create something that is a, that really is you, but exaggerated for stage to add that dramatic element. So you can right. see all the life experience that I've had is coming out in my shows. Uh, every every time I open my mouth when I'm performing, some part of that is true. So, like in my triumph routine, for example, I talk about my brother gave me an older time. Uh, my brother gave me a, a difficult time when I was learning how to do this stuff. That's true. Now, he didn't do all the stuff that's in the trick, but at least I'm pulling from a true memory. And that means that all the ad libs and the jokes and the, the feelings and the storytelling is much more accurate. Could you imagine trying to tell a story to your bros that you're just making up as you go? I mean, they can still figure out that this isn't right. You know, and then this girl came in and she was like, she was like, yo, and I'm like, yo, you know, like, yeah. uh, but if, if they know you and you're telling the story, it's much more genuine if that stuff really happened. And then of course you can ex- exaggerate and elaborate like we all do with stories, but it's genuine. So back to that character thing. If you watch my character, every little bit of that kind of is, there's something there in every single thing, like the high cheekbones and the chiseled jawline and all those. Yeah. My mom, my mom used to take a picture of me and go, oh, your cheekbones are so high and your eyes are so beautiful. <laughs> and, and you got this cute little button nose and, you know, and, and you know, that those memories and such are much easier to convey when I'm on stage talking about how beautiful I am, I'm just <laughs> replaying my mom saying all that stuff. And my uh, eyes kind of glaze over yeah, and I go, yeah. you know, and 
it's the chiseled uh, jawline and the high cheekbones and those piercing green eyes and the perfectly <laughs> textured hair and the tailored suit and the fast car and the rock hard six pack and the tattoos and the perfect amount of five o'clock shadow. It doesn't look bad, you know. So that, that's that's those things kind of happened. So there's truth behind the joke, and that's where the humor will hit. Instead of if I created some fictitious thing that I'm trying to, you know, ask myself, hmm, you think this would be funny? You know, like, hmm, I don't right. know. You know? So that's yeah, because the audience can feel fakeness. Oh, yes, of course. Not. You're, ho- you're hollow. You're, you're just, um, it, it's, a, a, it's method acting. A really good actor, if he's going to play some sort of insane person, will lock himself in a room for three months until he goes nuts. And then he has some experience to pull from when he plays the character. Oh, right. Right. That's what they do. And that's how those characters, mm. they're so uh, vivid on screen because they're pulling from a true experience. Uh, if you're going to play a gambler, they go into the casino for three months and get to get the feel of what, what this life is really like. And then they're much more genuine on stage. Right. Oh, you're, you're going to play a professional poker player. Oh, okay. Uh, just give me some poker chips. I'll be fine. What's that character going to be? You know, they're not going to know the language, the way things really are, the atmosphere of a casino, the, all of those things that they can absorb if they did the method acting thing and sat in a casino for three months. And right. Them. Or learning a, a few of the, the fighting moves by act, taking an actual exactly. class or Keanu something. Reeves, you know? no, not that Keanu Reeves is, I mean, you could say what you want about him as an actor, but the point is he goes through these boot camp style military gun uh, range exercises that look like they're for the FBI or for military or such like that. So when he goes on, on to, to camera, he's got the same training that the actual real uh, SEAL team people have, you know? So of course it's going to look more genuine. There's nothing worse than seeing an action hero that holds a gun in a teacup grip. You know what I'm talking about? That they hold that like that's amateur stuff. When you put your hand, <laughs> you're supposed to have a, 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 a you're supposed to know how to hold a gun, you know? So you see these action heroes sometimes in these low budget movies that don't know, you can tell that they've never handled a gun before in their lives. So yeah, yeah that's very important to, to come across as genuine with your audience. It's much better connection. Mm-hmm. Now I've always, I, I say always, sorry. What I meant to say is over the past few years, as I'm currently figuring out my character, I am envisioning a future version of myself that is able to kind of like a comedian in the sense of you walk up to a gig with just whatever's on your person. And then you mentioned that you just walk up to a gig with a deck of cards and like that just, it makes me want to ask you your thoughts on like gimmicks versus slights and what what do you think is the, the the correct way to approach something like should someone use a gimmick as a crutch or put in that work to be able to like you're like you have well that's a personal choice you know do you uh you know i don't want to be on here bashing the gaff guys because they're they you know the of course yeah no and i don't mean to, to I know, get you and, to and do it's that funny too, because magicians yeah. have this kind of catty petty thing where you they, they like to attack each other a lot. Like on a guitar form or something, you see somebody play a video and they go, wow, great chops, you know? You sound like these your influences. And on a magic forum, somebody posts a video doing something and it's like 90%, you suck, you know, and, and, and that was terrible and blah, blah, blah. So there's, there's this weird thing that the magic community has, right? So I, if I say anything that offends anybody, that's not the point here. Uh, 
the, the, it's a personal choice for me because I find it much more rewarding to put in the hours for the slights and have a potential skill set. I own that. I, you know, I earned that skill set. I didn't save up $2 and go on Penguin and buy some thing that does it. You know, who, who are you then? You're a guy that had two bucks in your pocket. But so that, that's for me, that's a rewarding yeah. thing I spent. So going to the gym, I went to the gym. I, I now I've got a ripped up six pack. Uh, I eat clean and I put the time in and my body looks this way. There's no sh- shortcut for that. There's no shortcut whatsoever. You either did it or you didn't do it. And that's very gratifying to have that. It's part of the reason why I run and stay fit because I like the way I look. Plus, I got to look good in those suits, you know? Right. Anyway, <laughs> now, the other thing is practicality. I can pick up a regular, I could borrow a deck of cards and do an hour-long show because I'm not relying on the thing that I bought. It's the, I own the slights no matter where I am. Right. So there's something nice about I've been in that situation before where somebody goes across the street and buys a deck of cards and comes back and there's a pool table in the back there. Here, can you do some things for us? And basically, I have access to my full show because I'm just using slides. It's not like if you're just a gaff guy and somebody says, hey, can you do some of that stuff? And you go, oh, shit, I know I don't have any of my stuff with me. So practicality is something else. Number three is uh, the angle problems usually you're sacrificing some sort of angle issue with some sort of gaff it looks great from this but they can't be examined or it only looks good from this spot or it only works here it only works there uh and i don't want to be in that situation like 90 percent of the stuff i do i can be either completely surrounded or almost you know so i, I take care of that by performing against the wall typically I'll make the excuse. I want everybody to see. So let's come over here and bring a table here. But I'm really just putting my back up against the wall so that I don't have any angle issues. But if you think about it, if you've got like a your performance bag and it's got 20 gaffs in it, what are you going to do? This gaff and then put it away and then take out a different gaff and do that gaff and then put it, you know, see what I mean? You can't seamlessly put all that stuff together. Typically, you've got a deck that does like one thing. Okay, well, then what? You got to put it away and take something else out and you can't give it away. And the problem with the gaff thing is if you do something tremendously visual, well, people are going to want to see it. That that's the human nature, right? If I've got a card that I just go in a circle like this and all of a sudden it changes, no one's going to say, that's great. Can you put it away? They're going to say, can I hold that? So when you do sleight of hands, there is nothing to give them. You can do this, a same, very similar visual change that gets the eye candy. And then, if anyone suspects that that's why I always give my decks away to prove that these are normal. These are just regular playing cards. Now I'm not anti gaff. I use that. Let's see. One, two, three, the fourth shelf down behind over there is just all gaff stuff. So, but I'm, I'm, I re- limit it to double facers, double backers, blank stuff, you know, just, just the normal mm-hmm. toolbox there that I have a handful of routines that take advantage of the, the beauty of, of those gaffs. But I certainly am not going to buy the latest thing on, on, these magic websites to to shoot for Instagram or something like that. I right. they don't care about that kind of stuff. Yeah, because I feel like you know you're you have that already of what I, I I envision as my future performing self. You know, you go there and everything is up in your brain. Everything's there, and you got all your tools ready to go. So I, I just feel like that is like the ideal show that I'm working towards one day. And, yeah, uh, and there's different there's different platforms as well. If you're a social media um, 
performer, if that's your thing, then the gaffs are great because you have one camera, you have you could shoot it 200 times until it looks right and, and good. But you're eventually going to get a gig, right? So you got to have something when you go to your gigs. You got to have some uh, something that you can perform that holds up to what you're advertising on your social media accounts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a trap you can fall into there. But um, I, there's just... I enjoy that practicality of being able to take a regular deck and just do as much amazing magic one trick after another without having to worry about any, anything. So you can be clever with your gaffes and introduce them and steal them out in a way that allows the audience to inspect things. But that's a lot of work, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's a, there's a confidence that comes along with the slights as well. At any time during the show, there's, you can, use some sort of slights to get yourself out of a tricky situation. If that's what you, somebody says, well, let me shuffle those. And you go, no. And the guy goes, ah, I got you. You can't shuffle the cards. Can you? And of course, meanwhile, I'm palming out the top four cards. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, if you really want to show, okay, you twisted my arm, but I shuffle them up. And, <laughs> and I just sit back and, and you know, the, I mean, what a rewarding moment that you're sitting there holding out in your, you know, in your <laughs> forearm here and the guy's shuffling the cards and I say, are, are you done? You know, and, and the guy goes, yeah, find those aces now. You know, well, I know you really shuffled out, but I think you left one here. You know, that, that is, a, is a remarkable moment and, and extremely gratifying to be able to, to confidently pull that stuff off. Right. Uh, but boy, it'd be pretty defeating if some guy rips a gaff out of your hands and exposes the gaff and that, you know, and you look like be an embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, I guess, questions that I've been you know, talking with other magicians, um, not on the podcast about, but it's, uh, so some, some magicians think that if you use gaffes, you can focus more on presentation, but I don't think that's the case. I think, no, no, you know, no. you, you, yeah, that's, that's just a lazy attitude. You can, you can work on both. I'm an example of that. You can have crazy technical chops and still um, be able to have have a conversation with your audience. That's just a short-term band-aid to say, oh, well, if I do get a trick that's self-working, I can be myself. If you practice your slights the right way and rehearse them, the the slights become second. It's it's like breathing. I'm not, did you think about blinking your eyes or breathing since this whole thing started? No, your body's just doing it. (laughs) Not till so now. <laughs> if you have your slice down and you're confident with practicing them, you're not nervous about doing them. And if you're not nervous about doing them, I can have a conversation with you. And it's, it's, it's scripted pattern, but it feels like a, a conversation. If your pattern's right, if you have good acting technique. And I can focus on communicating with my audience while I'm busy in my mind doing math or doing the, comp- the whatever the calculations are or the slight that's about to come up or whatever. And it's second nature. Uh, but that only comes from practicing so that mm-hmm. you can be comfortable with the slight. So that, that what you're talking about, that comes from an amateur musician that, that has tried to do an effect that's maybe over his head a little bit or something, and the slights were so hard to tackle that he felt, oh, I can't really communicate to this person because I'm busy focusing on this, and then made his mind up and said, oh, if I do the gaff stuff, well, not self-working, so I can be myself. Mm. It's just how much time are you willing to invest in it so that you can become comfortable. Right, into your, your art and career. Yeah, exactly. All right, man. I just, I want to take a quick moment, Jason, and just thank you so much for, you know, making and putting aside some time to chat with us today and share some knowledge. And my, my brain is, I feel like, I feel (laughs) like, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm mind blown. 
Yeah, and I, you didn't even do any magic. <laughs> it's a lot to do. It's just my entire process kind of all out there at once. So it can be a lot yeah. of different things. You know, you talk to somebody else and they can have a completely different approach. Um, right. But I think uh, a lot of what you shared, it works for a, a really large group of people, like a, the vast majority, because a lot of what you, you're teaching is it can apply to and and change for the person. Yeah, I apply this stuff um, to other parts of life as well. I have other hobbies and crafts and things that I do that I care about. And I take the same approach, you know, uh, because it's just about being more organized and being more efficient. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to say, oh, I'll do that tomorrow kind of stuff. You know, you can be that way with your practice too. So I realized, well, I got all this practice in and I'm going to use the same approach I did with music. And sure enough, that work for magic and i realized over my life like photography like i film all my own stuff and do all the video stuff and if i'm trying to teach myself that stuff well that's terrible so find people that are better than you and see what you can learn from them practice you know there was so many times that i would do video uh, um, photography shoots just for practice i'd go out and shoot some leaves or some birds or some you know sunlight stuff and playing with light and And that's just practice and bring it in throw it into Photoshop, have fun with it, see what I can do, learn the tools, go on YouTube and do all that. But I would make time to do that stuff because I didn't want to pay a photographer every time I had a project come out. I took the same approach with video and everything. Find people that are better, learn from them, pay them, practice it. And, and that way you're kind of your own business. You're your own machine. Could you imagine if I had to pay somebody to do all my video work and oh man, yeah, it's going to be hard to get ahead, you know? That's exactly why I learned video personally is so that I wouldn't have to spend thousands of dollars just to get a videographer. You know what? In the beginning though, you do it. Unfortunately, uh, there, there are going to be some times where you are going to have to make an investment in your business. So I see a lot of people that, that I've seen things like your girlfriend taking your promotional shots in your living room with the hard shadow on the back and you, you know, and you, you know, no, you know, if someone's going to hire you, you got to put them on up front but remember once you start getting some capital it's okay to dump back in and while you're busy learning stuff it's okay to pay the professionals to to get yourself looking right you can take a look at my website to see that all those professional shots really help sell the image of what i am i can ask the right price with that stuff so over time though you can start filming things yourself or doing video camera work yourself Mm -hmm. once you can once you can match the level yes, of the brand exactly. that you want to put out. Exactly. Exactly. So even like my book, I, I just did a, a interview with FHM magazine and they wanted some uh, shots for cards and it was during the quarantine anyway. So I knew I couldn't get any of my usual guys. So I did all the shots myself and they came out amazing. They came out great, but I wouldn't have been able to do that if I hadn't met them and learned from them. Um, so it's just something to keep in mind. Another skill set that, that you can, work on and if that was years ago i would have paid them because i want that to look good for the magazine you know Mm -hmm. exactly yeah it's definitely definitely valuable especially in the social media age nowadays you know you need to be able to produce that that type type of quality anyways yeah yeah i want my stuff to to look different there's a lot of guys out there that shoot uh amazing moves but it's just on their iphone in their kitchen or something like that and i i i want everything to, I want to have my brand on that stuff all the time. So you'll never see a shaky iPhone video. I mean, I make silly things all the time, goofy things. Sometimes that I'll throw on my iPhone sometimes more for a joke, but when it's real card technique or whatever, 
I've got the, the right lighting, the angles, and, and uh, it's got some nice music on it. The way the, it's, it's not an accident the way the light is hitting the mat. Right. You know, it's not an accident with that sliver of light that's coming over the top of my hands. You know, I, I want that to, to add to the whole picture so it, it just looks really good. You know? mm -hmm. and, and think about it, at the end of the day, you're watching some guy deal cards. I mean, how boring is that? <laughs> I mean, somebody was on my Facebook the other day saying, like, who cares, you know? Uh, I, I forget the exact argument, but that's why I hate Facebook sometimes. <laughs> like, Instagram, people go, oh, it's great. Uh, Facebook's like, it's the wrong discussion all the time. But the point was that I, I'm just doing these insanely boring technical things. They're very difficult. If you're in the know, they look good. But why not make them look as good as they can with the lighting and the coloring and the, all that kind of stuff, the shadows and the high contrast and everything, so that you can enjoy it. Um, just it's visually pleasing to the eye in addition to the, the technical work. Right. Uh, right. So right. Exactly. Like yeah, I definitely agree. And just speaking on one of your mo more recent or maybe your most recent uh, Instagram, when you Man, it's it's invisible. You showed the the clip from behind, and you're doing a second, and uh, dude, oh right, 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 the over the top. Yeah, the brief is non-existent. Oh, it's so amazing. I love it, man. Happens. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And that's just, I mean, honestly, I put God, it's got to be five to eight years into that second deal to get that brief, so it's just non-existent. But what I've noticed, and and I like, I never respond to my hecklers directly, right? I, you get a lot of people, especially on YouTube, um, and it's just the nature of these things. They're, they feel attacked by it, they get triggered right away. You know, oh, you're getting praised, I hate you for these 10 reasons. But what ends up happening is I'll shoot some video and you'll get these guys that move the goalposts all the time, right? Oh, well, you can't, you're shooting it this way because you can't shoot it from the top. Or you're shooting it this way because you're not good enough to do it this way, or, or, or you sped the tape up, that was a good one. Oh, these are so rewarding for me. This one guy, I did some stacking video and I did it insanely. It's just a normal drill for me. I do this drill and I just did it. I didn't think anything of it. I just said, here's a drill I do. I put it on my, and this guy starts this humongous movement that Jay Ladani's editing his tapes and he's doing them and he's speeding the film up because nobody can do it that fast. And I remember thinking like, I wasn't even trying. Like I'm just doing this drill for like five years, you know? So <laughs> I took a stopwatch out and I shot, I put the stopwatch in the frame and I shot it again and I did it in even less time than I did on the first video. And there's a stopwatch running. So you can see that it's not, I'm not speeding the film up because the watch wouldn't be right. And then the guy, then you would think that would solve the, the problem. And, and again, I didn't respond to him directly. I didn't say, no, you're an idiot. I did it. You know, I just day later put that video up and said, I think I'll practice with the stopwatch. And the guy goes, oh, well, not, you can't do it three times. That was a one-off. You can't do it three times in a row. So you'll never win with these online haters and everything. Uh, so what I typically end up doing is over time, whatever their argument might be, I just film it that way down the road somewhere, right? And it's a kind of an, uh, a way wow. that's non-confrontational, but if you want to see it here, you know. And it's funny, but, they're being so negative, and yet they're feeding you content ideas exactly the blog posts <laughs> and the con yes exactly but it's not to, it's not to be an ass it's not to be rude it's not to it's not a it's it's on my own time i'll do it whenever i want but it, yeah. it is something that i can say oh well if they think that well then i'll 
illness. But the funny thing is it never changes anything, it's, but at least it gives me the idea. So I remember one guy, I did the second deal stuff and I said, the, the only way you can do that is with a huge brief and you're shooting it this way, you're necktying the deck because they can't look over the shoulder. So I remember thinking, well, that's not true. <laughs> so I did the, I did the over the shoulder thing to show the, the things. Now what's funny is sometimes these people just go away completely. And other times they just move the goalpost and they say, oh, well, you're, you're, uh, I bet you can't do it uh, doubles, or I bet you can't do it singles, or I bet you can't do triple, you know. It's just like, shut up. So to, I can give some advice for anyone that's in this similar situation. You just ignore these people. It, it, there's so much hate on some of these magic forums, and I think that some people go along with it and respond to it and feel put down and feel like I'm going to give up because everything I put up is not good enough, you know? Just ignore that stuff. And right back to what Tony said, trust your material. If you want to do second deals, do them. And, and when you get all that feedback that, I mean, who cares what anime 69 double X says on, on Instagram, <laughs> who, who is that guy? You're gonna exactly. He's hiding behind a keyboard. Like, oh yeah. Like who gives a crap what that person thinks? So just keep doing what you're doing, keep practicing. And uh, if Steve Forty writes to you with advice, then listen to it. But if, if some random dude on the internet with 62 followers tells you it's the worst thing he's ever seen, you just put a little heart, that's all, put the little heart thing and say thanks and, and move on. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so that, because I think if, if there are beginners, not beginners, but people that are working on some of the hard technique that might not be there yet, and they want right. that content to share they're going to get a lot of that hate and uh, you just have to ignore it. Okay. What, what, so that actually gives me another question for you is especially in your world of like the card cheat and whatnot, when you put out content, you want to make sure that you're not exposing anything, but like, where's the line for that? Yeah. If someone's so, not quite there yet. Exactly. You know? So my theory is, exposure I don't I hate exposure there should be no reason why I can go on YouTube and look up like 80,000 different tricks and it always says XYZ reveal or tutorial you know it's like so easy so I can't do anything about that that that's out there but at least I can take my own material and, and have this kind of idea people know about skill things for example bottom deals I mean that's been exposed in movies and things like that so I'm not exposing magic techniques I'm exposing things that take a tremendous amount of skill to do. So I don't uh, classify exposing a center deal as skill. And here's why. After you demonstrate the center, they still don't know how the hell you did it. Right? So I say <laughs> to, to a lay person, I say, here's a deck of cards. Let's say, for example, I need the, the six of spades. And you can clearly see the six of spades in the middle of the deck, right? Now, a card sheet, instead of dealing himself the top card, will sometimes deal cards he wants from the middle of the deck. Now, the lay person's going, okay, I understand. You need the six. It's in the middle. Uh, but how are you going to get it? And then you do this. And you snap the six out. And you, you're holding the six. And they, and they go, well, how, how did you get the card, you know? So do you see how I didn't give anything away? Right. I explained the skill and I, and, and it sounds complicated and I seemingly did it effortlessly. So it feels like a magic trick and they go home saying that guy could pull cards out of the middle, but they're not, they didn't expose anything. Now I certainly don't go, I, you know, I don't want to do any expose. I don't know who lists, is it primarily magicians that listen to your podcast? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Primarily so, mystery know, entertainers. 
so yeah, I don't go up to someone and say, hey, you see how I hold these two cards together? Or when I push them in, I angle them over like this. And I, you know, I'm not giving away magical moves like that by any means. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the stuff that feels like exposure is really just gambling technique. And, and honestly, if you're a card player, you should know those things exist. That's a gaming protection plan. I know people can shuffle cards or, or cheat this way or cheat that way. Now, the other thing that I like to give away is really, really, really easy, easy stuff. And that means those uh, tricks you'll find in the beginner books, 10 amazing beginner card tricks, you know, and they're so easy to figure out to begin with. They might fool you once, but they can't stand up to a second performance. Right. That you would teach a five-year-old that would love to do something. Remember that trick where you have the three of diamonds and the seven of hearts, and then you have the seven of diamonds and the three of, or the opposite, right. you know, that stuff's, you know, might fool somebody once, but if they think about it, they can figure out. So my, my template for some of these tricks I create is to teach an audience member one of those very simple things, but then do like the supercharged version of it right afterwards, where it mm. like completely fools them for real afterwards. So that I don't qualify as exposure because it's like you're giving away such a small, obvious, silly thing to begin with. Uh, it is a tricky line to find though sometimes, but you, your gut should tell you like, I'm giving away too much information because you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot Right, one trick you say, look, I can do this, and then the next trick you're trying to fool them with it. That's not going to work. Now, yes. it leads me to a very interesting element. Sometimes, let's say I do the center deal demo, and they go, "Oh my God, this guy can deal cards out of the middle." Then a second later, or the two, three tricks later, or something, I do another trick at the like uh, out of this world, and it's an amazing mystery. If that person that was fooled by that goes home thinking. You know, the only way he could have done that was if he center dealt all those cards. I'm okay with that. I'm going to sleep just fine because they still, that's still like Superman stuff. Like how did that guy fool, like get all those cards out of the middle and how do you know where they were? And he did it in a way I couldn't, it made it look like the top card. So that's a possible method they have, but I'm still getting superhuman credit. For right. That. So again, it's not really interesting. Yeah, it's a pretty cool kind of element. If they want to believe that I, shuffle tracked every single card in the deck and knew where these cards were because I kept track of them with crazy Rain Man type math. Fine. I'm still an interesting person. <laughs> See what I mean? I do. I do. It's, that's incredible, man. I love it. Your, your, your world of what you specialize in is just so fascinating to me. I know that that's not the my personal style in magic, but I, I definitely appreciate how it looks and how it, yeah, you can, how it, how it operates. Know, and even though you have a different path, you can still put all the time and effort and thought into it. That's all I yeah, am. And my character is grounded in real life. I am basically James Bond or Batman. I, mm. uh, they don't have any superhuman power. They're not magicians, right? They, right. they, they need their minds. They need their skill. They need their strength. Uh, and they have their toys and things that they could, but everything's in happening in real life. So uh, that's my template. And if you're more like Superman, that allows you to do kind of supernatural things. And you should stay in the supernatural area and do everything that you do there. But you can still apply all of this thinking as long as it's consistent within your own, you know, universe. Right. Right. Yeah, man. Oh, dude, I, I've learned so much. So much. Yeah. Uh, man. I, awesome. And, and I, I'm buzzing right now, too. It's, this... This has been an amazing podcast. I thank you so much, dude. Uh, and I, I understand you are an incredibly 
incredibly busy person and I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So I have, I have one last question for you. Sure. And that is, it's, it's a hypothetical. I want you to imagine yourself like five minutes from now, five years from now, whatever, just sometime. And let's say an evil magician wipes the minds of everybody that ever knew you just, there's a spell. So now you're almost had like a reset button. What's the first thing that you do to, to get back to where you are? Um, that's a very interesting question. Cause you still have all your skill and all of that. It's just, uh, right now, nobody remembers. Um, well, I would have to get myself in front of as many people as possible. Uh, and social media is an amazing tool for that. I mean, when I was starting all this stuff, social media was just getting started. So I was limited to performing to people in my area and everything. So yeah, I would start thinking I have to rebuild everything. Oh, and I would also be a great opportunity to say, what did I do wrong last time? What, what was the, what was the, it, investments in time that's our most precious resource is time you know where did I invest time that didn't pay off so it's actually a, a, a make it a positive and say okay this time through I'm not gonna bother with this or that like I remember back in when the magic cafe there was more like uh, professionals on there trying to have a conversation before it turned into the green house that it is today so I remember posting on there and the things that questions that you asked me and my take on things, I would try to contribute to the conversations and it would just turn into these horrible uh, things. So I devoted, I mean, think of how many times I, all the hours I spent responding to the people or whatever that didn't, I would have wasted time that way. Mm. So yeah, I would say, what, what was I most efficient at and what was no good and focused uh, on an even, coming out even stronger the second time around. Amazing. And I believe that that, by doing that, that would then snap everybody out of that and they'd remember who you are. Cause I, f I feel like you have such a, a unique brand and you unique personality that when people see you again, all of a sudden just like, Oh wait, it's such a recognizable thing. And I, I feel like that's something that I, I just hope that one day I'll be able to achieve is a character that is so recognizable. Yeah, so, you know, and it comes back to buying that stuff online. If you buy all the same stuff that other people buy, you're just a, another person buying someone else's material, you know? So um, I definitely wanted to carve out my own thing. You know, there's other guys out there to do card tricks, but um, just focused on my specific character and my specific, I don't worry about what anybody else is doing. I don't care about other people's advice that, that like, unless Steve Forty comes calling or, or, you know, people that, uh, I have my circle of people, Vin Mike Vincent, uh, Andrew Limhurst, uh, Tony Cabral. You know, we help each other and discuss things, but I, I want to make sure I'm carving out my own thing, and that way I don't have to worry about influence or all these things. I just stay on my path. And Right, right, right. I'm, I'm, I'm the one selling the stuff here, so I got to be on top of it. That's amazing, Jason. Okay. Well, how can people find you? What's the best ways to, well, uh, to contact you? Uh, put a deck of cards out in the backyard at midnight when the moon is shining bright. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I will appear. No, um, I am uh, card You need to make that video. video, by the way. I feel like that yeah. would be a, an amazing video. <laughs> 
Yeah, just light a candle and then blow it out. And smoke clears. I'll be um, I am Card Magic by Jason. Card Magic by Jason is my handle across like everything. So you can find me on uh, YouTube there. Just search my name and Google. It'll all come up. Uh, so Card Magic by Jason is my Instagram as well. And uh, I've seen a lot of really nice uh, growth there in the last year. I remember when I wrote my book, I only had like a thousand followers or something. My second book only had about a thousand followers or something. And uh, I'm coming up on about six now. So there's, and that's only been a year and change. So that seems to be growing a lot faster now, probably because I'm posting more content there. Um, and of course, my website is uh, cardmagicbyjason.com. And the site, there's a store on there and there's some media and such. It's more for my corporate clients that that site's for. But if you're interested in buying some of my content, uh, you can do it there. It's all over the, you know, Vanishing Ink and all the usual places right. as well. But you can buy direct from me if you wish. There's a, a new DVD coming out. This is the first, you're the first place I've, I've tipped it. We're pretty close to finishing up. It's called Live in London. Uh, I did a lecture over there and it's about two hours of material and uh, it was beautifully shot. And I'm also throwing the magic castle set on there with a, with an audio commentary, like you see in DVDs. So I'm wow. not typing in methods, but I'm tip like what we talked about, the character yeah. ad libs, mm -hmm. the kind of the theory behind the show as the show progresses. And I can tell you some of my internal thoughts as I'm, as I'm performing and match them up with, you see what I did there? That was me looking in the audience for the right person. To, for the next trick, even though I'm on the middle trick, I'm searching out who I'm interesting. Gonna be. Yeah, so I'll be talking about a few things like that. Um, and I just got the artwork back for it, it's just stunning, and so I'm pretty pleased about that. So that'll be for sale. I, you know, we're just working on it now, so I don't want to lock myself into yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, that sounds and, so valuable. I can't wait to, to really like hear your thoughts as you perform. Like, that's that's amazing. Yeah, that's uh, a big part of it because I'm certainly not thinking about w which way do I cut the cards now and how many cards do I hold back on the left. I'm not thinking about any stuff. I'm thinking about the, the, I'm a couple tricks ahead. I'm thinking like, should I use that ad lib from the last show or should I try this ad lib? You know, that kind of thing. So um, that'll be coming out soon. And, you know, with this pandemic that's going on, I've just been focusing on writing my next book and... Uh, organizing the stuff that uh, has just been adding up over the years. I get these kind of half-baked ideas and they're all on post-it notes and legal pads and everything. And I've just been enjoying, that's tedious work to organize all that stuff. Right. But I've been getting on top of it because usually I'm busy performing and I can't do that stuff. So I'm actually kind of enjoying this time off here to kind of catch up on everything. And at the end of this thing, I'll have a third book ready to go. So uh, that's kind of what I'm, Doing right now. Amazing, man. I can't wait. I can't wait for, for these releases and I can't wait to dive into more of your material. And, and thank you. Thank you so thank much, you. man. Yeah, I, I, appreciate it. I had such a great time learning from you and I know everyone else did as well. And yeah, so definitely go check out Jason and yeah, dude, all, all the best to you in uh, the rest of quarantine here. And I, yeah, can't wait to, uh, to hear from you again soon. Excellent. It was a pleasure. Thanks, thanks for having me. Great questions. And it was a, a fun interview. I appreciate it. There you have it, guys. That was Jason Ladani. Damn. I just, I learned so much. And man, I know I say this all the time, but I'm buzzing. And, but like this time it's, it's different. I feel like, you know what? I'm just going to stop right there.
I'm going to go practice. I am reworking my entire schedule because I feel like my schedule needs a lot of work and this is motivating me. Let's get that in line. Let's get it going. Dude, this is amazing. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you learned a lot and I hope your your mind has been expanded and I hope that you take these teachings and really take them seriously because this is going to help you as a magician, as a mystery entertainer. All right, go check out Jason Ladani and we'll see you guys on the next episode. We'll see you soon. Peace. Thank you.